As you turn to Philippians, just to want to say thank you to Pastor Redlin for the opportunity to be able to open God's Word, share it with you this morning. It's been a joy studying and preparing. Looking forward to what the Lord will do in our midst this morning. There's a story that's been told about Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of evangelist Billy Graham. And she wrote of an encounter that she had with a young Indian woman named Pashi. She took the opportunity, had the opportunity rather, to share the gospel with Pashi. And as she walked through and, and explained the, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and what it means to the world, what it means to herself, and what it could mean for Pashi, Pashi listened. But at the end of her giving the gospel, Pashi said this, and I quote, I would like to believe in Christ, and many in India would like to believe. But we have never seen a Christian who is like Christ. Ruth uh, gave a great response immediately after that statement, and she said this very wisely. She said, quote, I'm not offering you Christians. I am offering you Christ. As I read that story and began to think about my own personal life and, and ask you to think about this as well, as we think about that and we ask the question today, if you spent time with Pashi and she observed your life, what would she say? Would she see a Christian who is like Christ or would she see someone who says they are a Christian but their life does not show it? One in which she would look at and say, I've seen Christians, but I've never seen one who was like Christ. And as we look at the book of Philippians today, particularly in chapter 1 is where we'll be, Paul very simply and succinctly describes to us the difference between a Christian who is like Christ and one who is not. What is the difference? Well, Paul gives it here in a couple different verses here in Philippians chapter 1 and in, and in chapter 2. Look with me first at Philippians chapter 1, verse number 21. Paul says, this is what a Christian looks like. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what's the opposite? How does Paul describe the opposite? Philippians chapter 2, verse number 21. He says this, for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Quite the difference there between the two, between chapter 1, verse 21, and chapter 2, verse 21. So I ask you the question this morning, who are you? Which one of these verses best describes your life, best describes your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, best describes your relationship with him? Do you find yourself living in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 or do you find yourself living in Philippians chapter 2 verse 21? When people see your life, who do they see? Do they see Christ in you? Our challenge this morning as we walk through Philippians 1 is that we live a life that reflects who we are, followers of Christ. It's that we live a life that reflects who we are, followers of Christ. And as we walk through, particularly beginning in verse 20 of our passage today, if we're going to live the Christian life that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the life that truly reflects who we are, we must first surrender our life. We must first surrender our life. Look with me again in our text, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
This verse has been referred to as, the, as a proverb for the universal church, an ideal for every believing soul. And Paul makes this statement, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, coming right off of another powerful statement he said in the previous verse. Look at verse number 20, where Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul, Paul proceeds, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, is saying, it doesn't matter to me. I, my, 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 my whole goal in life is that God be magnified in my body, whether that's through my death or through my life. Therefore, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's interesting when you look in verse number 20, you find the two words there, according to my earnest expectation. It's one word in the original language and it means this, it's an eager anticipation. It's an intensely desired expectation with a high confidence of fulfillment. So it's a unique word. We find it used only twice in the scriptures. One, here in verse 20 of Philippians chapter one and again in Romans chapter eight, verse 19, where Paul is using that word in, in eager anticipation of the return of Christ. He is so confident, he is that high confidence in what is going to transpire. Christ is going to return. It's a word that you can't find used anywhere else in Greek literature prior to the time of the Apostle Paul using it here in Philippians chapter 1. In fact, it seems as if it's a word that the Apostle Paul coined himself to get the point across, to clearly get the point across that his whole desire in life, his only desire in life is that Christ be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. So he's saying this, my sole purpose in life is to glorify Christ. That's a surrendered life. That's a surrendered life. And that's how he can follow up in verse number 21 by saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying that Christ essentially is the, is the essence of life. And essence can be defined as the, the fundamental nature of something apart from which that thing would not be what it is. Paul's saying, I am because of Christ, and apart from Christ, I am not who I am. I, I would not be who I am. And so recognizing this truth, Paul comes to the conclusion that, yes, for me to live, it's Christ. For me to live is Christ. So in this phrase, he's saying, whatever life I have, whatever time I have, whatever strength I have, whatever I have is Christ's. This, this is essentially what he said to the church at Galatia as well. In Galatians chapter 2 verse number 20 where Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, this is the epitome of being fully surrendered. 
He recognized that his life was not his, but it was Christ's. And understanding this truth, he could live up to the statement to live is Christ and follow it up by saying to die is gain. Because my whole purpose in life, my whole goal in life is to bring glory to God, to, to honor him, to lift up his name. It's not about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my desires. It's all about bringing glory to Christ. Therefore, if Christ be glorified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, I have accomplished the purpose for my life. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Now when we look at the phrase, the words to die, to die is gain, we need to understand that Paul is not saying that the act of death itself is gain. We know this. We've experienced loss in our families, our churches, etc. And we know that the act of death itself can be painful. It can be sorrowful. It can be troublesome. It can be hurtful, both to the one dying and to the ones that are left behind. But what Paul is saying is that being in the state of death as a Christian is gain. First is gain for Paul because Christ is magnified through the promotion of the gospel resulting from his death. That's what Paul's desire is, that, that no matter what, whether it's through his death or through his life, that the gospel be promoted. And secondly, Paul says to die is gain because of where he will be in the presence of his Savior. Oh, that that would be true of, of us. That if or when we leave this earth through the means of death, that God would be glorified because the gospel was furthered through our death. Oh, that that would be true of us. Oh, that the gospel would be promoted through the testimony of the life that was lived for the glory of God. As a Christian, death is gained because it results in us being with Christ and we'll be in his presence of our Savior for the rest of eternity. We'll be in a place where there is no more pain, there is no more night, there are no more tears, no more sickness, no more hurt. We'll be in a place of eternal life, our home with our Lord for all of eternity. For the Christian, death is gain. It's been said that for Paul, Christ had become for him the motive of his actions, the goal of his life and ministry, and the source of his strength. For Paul, Christ was his life, and Christ is what made his life worth living. When you think about all that Paul endured physically, all that he went through, he could still get to this point in life and saying, Christ is what makes my life worth living because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we take that verse and we begin to evaluate our own lives against that verse, it really becomes a valuable test that shows to us the shallowness of so many, both in Paul's day as well as in our day, the shallowness of our relationship with God. It's been recorded that back in Carthage, among the ruins of, of Carthage, there's an inscription carved by a Roman soldier that said, and I quote, to laugh, to hunt, to bathe, to game, or to party. And he ended it with this, that is life. That is life. 
One commentator said this about our day today in which we live. He said, according to the tabloids and celebrity magazines, for me to live is to fornicate, to accumulate, to dine well. On a, on a more everyday level, for me to live is to golf, to work, to garden, to travel, to watch TV, to ski, to shop till I drop. And then he ends that statement by saying this, of course, if this be our life, then death is the loss of everything. If this is your life, then, then for you, death is not gain. Death is the loss of everything. Loss of everything that you've been working toward. Loss of everything that you've been pursuing. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 21 living. Not, not, not what Paul contrasts is what we are to live as Christians, the Philippians 1, 21 life. So when you look at Philippians 1.21, and you were to sit here today and honestly evaluate your life, what would fill in these blanks? For me to live is, and to die is. If you were honestly to evaluate your life, what would go in those blanks? See, if we're going to have a joy in spite of our circumstances, if we're going to share in the furtherance of the gospel through our life, through our testimony, if we're going to be who we say we are, a follower of Christ, we must honestly be able to echo Paul's words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we're going to live the Christian life that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, a life that truly reflects who we are, then I have to get to the point that we, first of all, we surrender our life to God. Give it all to him and say, whether it be by life or by death, my desire is to glorify Christ. Secondly, we must learn to serve others. A life of service, a surrendered life, in which we can look at Philippians 1.21 and say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That life is a surrendered life, but it's also a life of service to others. As the life of Christ was a life of service, so should be the Christian life. It is a life that serves others. And when looking at this passage, we see two choices that Paul made here in Philippians chapter 1 that were expressions of his willingness to serve others. They were expressions overflowing out of the heart of a surrendered life. And so when we look at how Paul served, he served others, number one, with selflessness. He served others with selfishness. Selflessness, excuse me. Look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. Paul's saying, if I continue to live. Again, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if I continue to live, and he qualifies it with here in this flesh, knowing that he, if he dies, it's moving on to life eternal. But if I continue to live in this flesh, my desire, my prayer, my hope, my goal is that God would bless me with fruitful labor for him, for others. This is Paul's desire. Again, remember, Christ, his desire was that Christ be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. And here in verse 22, the phrase, the fruit of my labor, is an idiom for, for the word we could use, worthwhile. That my life be lived for a purpose, that, that what I accomplish be worth the while. He's saying, if I continue to live in this flesh, and, and, and remember where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in prison. 
So he's saying, if, if I continue to live in this flesh, whether imprisoned, whether persecuted, whether starved, whether free, it will all be worthwhile. Why? Because Christ will be magnified. Boy, what a testimony. What a testimony. Knowing that Christ will be magnified through his life before his death or through his death, he could honestly say at the end of verse number 21, yet what I shall choose, I what not. Because I have no preference. I have no preference. Look at verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Paul acknowledges, yes, the, the, the situation I'm in, the condition I'm in, going and being with Christ for all of eternity and not suffering anymore with, with, with the physical ailments that he had, the imprisonment he endured, the so many things that he endured in his personal life, from a physical standpoint, oh yes, it's far better to be with Christ. He says, but I'm in a strait betwixt two, meaning I, I'm perplexed. He's saying, if I had the choice to live and bear fruit in you or to die and gain heaven, I don't know which one I would choose. Thankfully, that was not Paul's decision to make, neither is it ours. But it does reiterate again his statement in verse 21. For me to live, Christ. To die, gain. At the end of verse 23, he acknowledges that to die would be better for him physically... And he'd be living like he's never lived before because he's in the presence of our Lord. But then read verse 24, what he says. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. What a selfless statement to make. It's far better for me to go and be in eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, it is better for me to abide in the flesh with you. What's he saying? Regardless of what is better for me, the priority of my heart, Paul says, is what is better for you. What a selfless attitude of service toward others. We see here just how selfless Paul was, willing to lay aside his own desires, willing to remain in prison if it, if it led to others coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which when you read through the book of Philippians, that's exactly what was transpiring. Paul was having the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with his captors, with those that are in Rome, and they were coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not only that, through Paul's imprisonment, other believers were being strengthened in their faith. So Paul served others with selflessness, and as he continued to serve with selflessness, he also did so by strengthening. His desire was to strengthen the faith of others. Strengthen others' faith. Look at verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide. And continue with all of you for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming again to you. Paul said having this confidence. Having this confidence. Confidence, confidence is a word meaning to be convinced of the truthfulness or the validity of something. There's no doubt in his mind. There's no question in his mind. He's confident of this very thing, that my remaining with you will result in your faith growing and knowing what joy in the Christian life truly is. He's literally saying, 
you will have joy in your faith. Why? Because Paul's desire is not to elevate self, but to elevate Christ. And when Christ is elevated, so does the life of others who come alongside and join him in worshiping God together. Glorifying him together. Verse 26 says that they would have an abundant, overflowing joy in Jesus Christ because God sent Paul back to them. Remember, Paul's the one who had brought, one of the ones who had brought the gospel to them. And then he says this. Having this confidence, I know, verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant. Abundant is, is the word for overflowing, to have an excess of. We could insert the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It was overflowing, abundant joy that they would have. Because Paul is saying that the believer that is selfless and works to strengthen of other works to strengthen the faith of others, does not just experience joy himself in the work of the Lord, but he is also one that helps others experience the joy of the Lord. Why? Because his desire, and one whose desire was to live is Christ, to die is gain. His sole desire was to serve others. So our question this morning is this, does that describe your life? Do you serve others selflessly? Does your, this is a great question for us to ask. Does your presence, your words, your actions strengthen the faith of your spouse? Does your presence, your words, your actions strengthen the, the, the faith of your children, your family, your church family, your roommate, your friend? See, if we're going to live the Christian life that Paul describes in Philippians 1.21, a life that truly reflects who we are, we, we must live a selfless, faith-strengthening, a life of selflessness, faith-strengthening service toward others. Thirdly, it's not just an individual service. We've got to learn to serve together. Serve together. Look at verse number 27. Where Paul says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see the words? Striving together. Working together, serving together. Paul says in verse 27, only let your conversation, let your conversation, it's a word that means to live as a citizen. It was a political word that these believers in the Roman Empire would have known very well. He was telling them to be good citizens of Rome that in every way of their life represented also their eternal citizenship who they are in Christ. They were to be doing what Paul basically told the believers to do in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where he said this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You see, to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ is indeed the responsibility of every believer. That is our responsibility. 
to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. As believers, just as these believers did in Philippi, as believers, you and I share in the body of Christ. They also shared, uh, likely as Roman citizens, they shared a national home. And what Paul was saying, show who you are in Christ before the Roman world. And the call to each of us today is show who you are in Christ before our world today. Let others be able to see Christ in you. And if that were to be done, if that were to be true of us, what would the result be? Well, it would result in them standing together for the furtherance of the gospel, both in the Roman Empire and around the world. And when a group of believers like you and I, we come alongside one another, we work together for the cause of Christ through our local church with one spirit for the sake of the gospel, we will make an eternal impact on this world. An eternal impact on an individual, an eternal impact on a family, an eternal impact on this church, an eternal impact on our community, on our state, on our country, and our world. If we would serve together, united for the furtherance of the gospel. Husbands and wives, I imagine the difference it would make in your home if you and your spouse both lived a surrendered Christian life and worked together for the furtherance of the gospel in your home. Imagine what we as a church family determined to live the Christian life as God has called us to, united together doing the work of the gospel. Imagine the impact we could have in our community, our nation, and our world. All too often, though, what we have the tendency to do as individuals is complain about what we don't like or what we would do different. Then we surround ourselves with people that complain about the same things you do, and and rather than uniting with the body of Christ that God has called you to for the furtherance of the gospel, we have the tendency to become embittered hindrances to the gospel. Because it's not how I would do it. It's not necessarily what I would do or how I would go about it. I would do it differently. But God is calling us to something bigger than ourselves. He's calling us to serve together for the furtherance of the gospel. He's calling us to be citizens that unite in the gospel of Christ and work together in this community for the sake of the gospel. May we campus church may we do just that may we serve together for the furtherance of the gospel in our community and in our world see if we're going to live the Christian life that Paul describes in Philippians 1:21, for me to live is Christ to die is gain A life that truly reflects who we are. We must stand united in one spirit and work together for the sake of the gospel. And number four, we must be willing to suffer for Christ. To be able to honestly say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, we must come to the point that we are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look at verse 28 of Philippians 1. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of God 
For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So Paul gives a reminder to these believers that suffering will come. It will follow right after he gives a reminder to stand united in one spirit. Stand united and serve together for the cause of Christ. Oh, in church, when you do, persecution will come. Difficulty will come. You will suffer for my name's sake. And when we choose to work together for the furtherance of the gospel, we will suffer persecution in one form or another. But when we stand together, we serve together, it's not our burden alone to carry. The burden becomes easier to bear because you're being lifted up by a family of believers serving together. When we look at this, at this passage of Scripture, looking at verse 29, for unto you it is given. The word for given is the same word used throughout Scripture for grace. Charizomai. It's the same word for grace. Paul's saying, for unto you it is given grace. You have grace in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So just like your salvation is a gift of God's grace... God's grace will be evident in the midst of our suffering. When our striving together, when we are striving together for the sake of the gospel. Isn't it great to know that we serve a God that doesn't leave us on our own to suffer? He gives us the grace we need to serve him. He gives us the grace we need to, to, to grow to be more like him even through that persecution. Remember, the person writing this is enduring persecution at that very moment. Through our suffering, God, God gives us the strength we need to stand firm and to work together for the furtherance of the gospel. Campus Church, I ask you this morning, who are you? Do you find yourself living in a Philippians chapter 2, verse 21 life? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Or do you find yourself living a Philippians 1:21 life? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. May we, as Campus Church, as individuals, may we live a life that reflects who we are, followers of Christ, by surrendering our lives to Christ, by serving others, by serving together, and by, be and by being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Father, we're challenged this morning with the the comparison, the contrast of the life that we are called to versus the life we so often live. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain versus 
being ones that seek our own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Lord, may it be our prayer this morning that we live that surrendered life, that we live and can be described as one in whom we could say, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain.